Hey, what's going on? This is Jeremy Thoen, Marketing Director of 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. I'm excited to share an interview with Vincent Carano. He is the founder of Finici Freight Brokerage. Vin's got a really interesting story. He's four generations deep into making money off the supply chain. So his family has had companies in warehousing, trucking, and basically each time a company would die, Vin thought that it would be a cool idea to name his new company Finici, as in something that dies and then comes back to life. So anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode with Vin. Hey Vin, thanks for coming on to 3PL Live. I am excited to talk to you. We got to hang a little bit at TIA and before we get into Finici and your business, how did you enjoy the event? It was great getting to see you and hang with you. Uh, that, that was an amazing experience, Jerry. I, you know, I've been a member of TIA. The company's been members for a long time, almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, this was the first conference we went to and it was so great to put like people with the faces we deal with. I mean, uh, zoom calls and Google meet calls and all that stuff have been Mm -hmm. great, especially through the pandemic, but to actually sit with people and talk with them as just human beings and talking about things that are not like really spot specific work related were great. It was just such an overwhelmingly good experience to, to meet people. And then the educational stuff was, was, uh, better than I expected. So yeah, I was very happy that I went. Yeah, it was good to see you and actually chat in person and get to know you a little better as well. So it sounded like you too, from the freight business, it sounded like you grew up with your dad in the freight business on as a truck driver. Or yeah. I, I didn't quite get that. Can you give the background? Of course. Sort of love my own story. I know that's weird, <laughs> but I do. So when my father was in high school, his dad used to work for a uh, a company that didn't want that didn't want to um, have their own trucks anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they sponsored him. At that time, you needed a sponsorship to get your ICC right. So they sponsored him. This company sponsored him to get a truck. And him and his brother went into partnership. They got a couple trucks and they were just driving, doing their thing. And it was a really small time operation. But my grandfather, who I never met, I'll tell you that in a second, he was doing everything. He was you know, driving the truck, unloading the truck, loading the truck fixing it on Saturdays. He was doing, he was working a lot. Sure. And uh, one night my dad was in high school. My uncle had gone away to the service. My grandfather went to bed and he never woke up in the morning. And Mm. my father at 16 years old said, well, we got to take care of mom. And so my uncle came home from the service and my dad dropped out of high school and they just did what their father taught him to do is drive the truck and fix the truck and load the truck (laughs) and unload the truck. So fast forward, a number of years go by, the company grew to be pretty decent size. We were a Carano's Express. We were an LTL carrier in Connecticut. Hmm. Um, 65 trucks probably at the height. Oh, uh, wow. That's a lot. In Philadelphia and Boston. And then a nice thing going. And then however old you are when you graduate college, 21, 22 years old, 1989, getting ready to graduate from business school, think I'm going to run my daddy's trucking company. <laughs> And it turns out that was the year the stock market crashed and the pension was underfunded and there was a Teamster strike threatening and a big customer. Anyway, the whole thing fell apart. Mm. And so what they had left over was this little uh, warehousing business, but there really wasn't enough of it for me to come in and earn a living. And so my dad said to me, you're going to sort of have to find your own way a little bit. You've got a nice college degree. They paid for it. Very, very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went to work selling copy machines for for a company called A-Copy. Mm-hmm. And what they had us doing was crazy. We were taking two fax machines and this little box that went in between them. They called it a portable central office, I think. Mm-hmm. And you would take these fax machines out to people's offices and you'd put the little box in between them and you'd 
send a fax from one to the other. Because we had to prove, in 1989, we had to prove that the paper would go through the phone lines, essentially. People didn't believe it worked. <laughs> right? And here we are in 2023 doing this right now. I mean, so much has changed. But it taught me a lot about selling and customer interactions and, and, and just sort of taking care of people. Mm -hmm. um, there was a job opening at a regional LTL carrier called New England Motor Freight. It was a mm. supervisor and OSD position, and I went for it and got it. I was a, um, a brake bulk supervisor there. That was a day shift thing, and I ran the mm -hmm. OSD department. And then uh, that progressed and progressed. I took a sales job with them. I ended up being the terminal manager. And then my dad called around, uh, oh, goodness gracious, 1999, I guess, and said, uh, I want to buy your uncle out. Uh, the warehouse has gotten pretty big, and I want you to run it for me. I said, okay. So I left New England, went to uh, to run dad's warehousing company, and he was going to take a step back and, and let things happen. And so we did. Mm. We built it up. We had a, uh, port services. We ran trucks down to the piers in New York and New Jersey. We had about 300,000 square feet of warehouse space. Things were going pretty good. Recession in 2008 hits, and mm. we lost some really, really large customers. And I stood back, and I looked at it, and I said, you know, we've been brokering reselling freight charges is really what it was at the time for our warehouse customers. And maybe we could do something like this, but expand that and not have to have all these assets that are just, they could really bite you in the butt if you're not careful, right? So mm -hmm. when you have 300,000 square feet of warehouse space and it's full, things are really good. But when you have 300,000 square feet of warehouse space and only 100,000 square feet worth of stuff in it, you know, the bank and the landlord, they still want their money every every month. And the, mm -hmm. the, the gas bill and the electric bill, they still come every month. And, you know, you have labor for all this. And I just thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. There really does. And we started looking at ways to, to do more with less. And, and it turned out that brokering, not just freight, but but the warehouse work was, was pretty good. So fast forward, uh, it's 2009. It's the winter of 2009. It's one winter night, you know, it's like, 20 degrees outside. The yard is a sheet of ice. The driver couldn't get the brakes to free up. And we're working on it and working on it. Hammers and torches and everything else. Driver who I'm very, very close to. We were very good friends till he passed away. But Joe Tripp, he came up to me and he said, Vin, what are you doing? And and that, those words have stuck with me <laughs> since the beginning. And all I could think of is, is, you know, what are you doing? You're 42. You're laying under trucks. And you're not getting anywhere. And you really need to concentrate on what's working. And so what was working was was helping our customers get their stuff to where it had to be, safe, right, on time, in budget, all those things that we said we were going to promise, we were delivering on. And so the hardest part of the business was the assets and the employees. And I said, let's, let's find a better way. And so I met a guy who was an Echo Global agent. I hooked mm -hmm. up with him. Turned out he was stealing from the customers. <laughs> Ooh. And when I figured out what he was doing, I took my customers, I started, I got my own authority, started my own thing. I figured I couldn't do worse than him. <laughs> you know, we've, we've, it's been gung-ho ever since. And, you know, we've been really on the climb. It's, it's been pretty cool. That guy, by the way, did a year in federal for stealing from his customers. So don't oh, steal wow. from your customers. Jeez. Been a long story. So, so the name Fenice is actually, mm -hmm. it comes from the Italian word for the Phoenix, because I feel like my family has been in all these versions of the freight business, we're like the Phoenix. And every time something dies, it just sort of keeps coming back. I and love that metaphor. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a cheesy little thing, but it's our story and it's true, you know? 
I'm the third generation doing transportation out of the Northeast for in my family. And now my two sons who are working for Fenice are the fourth generation doing this. Fourth. You've pivoted. I mean, it seems like anytime something didn't work with like the warehouse or the trucks sort of turned into something new. So back in 2009, was there that that $100,000 bond thing going on then? Or is that was that after that? I, I don't remember the timeline with that. It was a $75,000. No, it was a $10,000 bond, I think, at that point. Mm. It was a $10,000 bond. I used an insurance company to get it. I think they charged me like 200 bucks the first year. It was almost nothing. Mm. And to get the authority, I literally wrote to Federal Motor Carrier, posted the bond. I think we were operational in three months, six months. I mean, uh, 60 days. I think it was very, very quick. But don't forget, we were sort of, we weren't really brokering freight, but we were advising customers on what carriers to use and the carriers were giving us a loading allowance. So we were essentially brokering freight before we, when we were the warehouse and we had our MC authority, which was our motor carrier authority. Uh, We didn't have broker authority at the time and we weren't actually acting as a broker, right? We were more like acting as a sales agent. Mm. Um, And when I realized that we needed to straighten that out, I didn't want to go through all the steps. So I thought it was a shortcut to work for somebody else like that big 3PL. Mm Mm-hmm. But it turned out there was too many pitfalls relying on somebody else to do what we could easily do. We knew the business. This is what we do. So was there a time there that you worked for a different 3PL for a bit and then switched back over? Or Yeah. So I, I got a, a sales agent role with, uh, with Echo Global Logistics. I found out that the agent I was working for was, what he was doing is he was billing his own company. He had a shadow company. He was billing his own company and then not paying people. It was just <laughs> a mess. And so I split off and I went to work for Global Trans, gave me an answer I didn't like on a truckload. So I did it myself and they found out and fired me. And so- <laughs> I guess um, you're unemployable in a good way. Yeah, I don't know. You know, in between I was I was uh, dispatching buses for this local bus company that ran coach buses, not school buses, coach buses on long trips. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to trying to do this and make ends meet doing that on the weekends. I realized that, Working for this guy who was trying to make us do like illegal things, like I don't know, he had us taking buses down to um, Disney World, for example, from Connecticut. You can't drive there straight in one day; it's illegal. Mm. So they would put the bus drivers in a hotel in Fayetteville, North Carolina. They would send another group of drivers down to Fayetteville, North Carolina. They would meet the bus and and take over because they were fresh drivers because they they had uh, good logs. But what they were doing was having instead of paying for the hotel, they would follow them down in a car. Then the bus drivers would get out into the car, the, the replacement drivers would get out of the car and into the bus and keep going. There was, and I said to the owner, I said, I'm not doing that. That's illegal. You're going to kill somebody. I don't want any part of this. And I realized I don't want to work for somebody who's going to make us do things that are dancing in the gray areas or whatever. So he can save a 60 or $80 hotel bill. Mm. It's just, it's Stupid. not the way I operate. And that's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to put myself and my reputation in jeopardy. And what I realized is, is I'm probably not cut out to work for anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I just really worked hard to make sure that that Fenice could offer me and my family what we needed. And frankly, it's not that hard. If you're a sales type or if you're like I am, very upfront, personable, talk to everybody. I tell the truth even when it's, uh, even when it's hard on me. <laughs> and, and that goes a long way in this business, you know? Mm-hmm. So I figured if I just worked a little bit harder, 
and just did a little bit more and made one more call that we get to where we wanted. And so we're, we're getting there. And we absolutely are. I mean, we're trying to hire some agents and things now, and that's not always the easiest thing to, to spread this out, but we've got such a great toolkit. We've got so much to offer and we just, I really feel like we're in a really good position to grow this, to grow this a lot. So when you first started, like how, how did you, when you, when did you know it would work? And then did you start off with much capital or how, how much money, or you don't have to tell me the exact amount or anything like that, but uh, did dude, you have enough runway string. or anything? No, it was a shoestring. Like we had nothing. The first account, when I left the guy who was stealing, I had called a couple customers and said, look, this guy's doing bad things. We need to stop this. And I'm going to try to help you as best I can. Mm -hmm. And so I had a couple commission checks from Global Trans. And I called my friend at New England Motor Freight. Her name is Terry. She's a credit manager. And I said, Terry, mm -hmm. I need some help. And she goes, well, what do you need? I said, I need you to pick up freight for me, but I don't have any credit. She goes, well, what are you going to do? I said, <laughs> I've made an agreement with my biggest customer to pay me with a credit card. I said, but I need seven days. She says, well, what do you need for seven days? I said, I don't know, ten dollars to $15,000. And she says, I can make that work. She goes, but to get us started, I need you to pay for the free first few shipments. Bring a check to the terminal and we'll pick them up. Hmm. I said, fine. So for the first two weeks, every day we'd pick up, We'd run up to the terminal and leave them a check. But I knew that their system was that they would take those checks and mail them to New Jersey. And I knew I had a few <laughs> days. And sure. so we just hoped and prayed and and got, you know, had I don't know, five or ten thousand dollars to 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 float. And we were lucky that we had a customer who paid us in, in seven or eight days. And our second customer that we went after was a um they were a, an ACH debit customer. And all they wanted to do is at the end of every week, they wanted a total bill. And they wanted us to hit their hit their open account. And so just because those two guys were so easy to deal with, it just made that cash flow work. And we just kept growing and growing and growing. And we currently today have zero debt. We have awesome. no debt, no investors. We're just using the cash that we've you know, accumulated to, to grow the business. So if you were looking back at your former self, I think that the way you handled that was really creative. How would you, if you were like advising to like a newer broker, what what would you tell them to look out for, like to to not overextend themselves or to kind of get through that initial? I think we were just very, very lucky. And, you know, we built a relationship with these two customers over the years of, of working with them in different capacities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while we came in with not a lot of cash, we had great relationships and we know who the customers were to go after first. Mm -hmm. So the freight broker business is a lot about brokering freight, but it's also a lot about about transactions. <clears throat> I feel like what you need is you need to understand that, you know, the customers mostly want to pay you in 30 or 35 days and the carriers need to get paid in 50. So you need mm -hmm. to float those 25 days in between. You either have to find someone who was willing to pay you quicker and maybe you could entice them into paying quicker with a discount or using a credit card or something like that, which we mm -hmm. did. So you, you could either entice them into paying a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. You could use some savings to get that 15 or 20 days and use a very slow growth model. You could mm -hmm. put LTL charges on your own credit card, depending on the carrier. You pay a premium for some time, for that sometimes, but you know if it's going to extend you those 15 days and you're not going to have to pay any interest on it, so the carriers might charge you a 3% fee. So if you're smart, you would take a card that gives you like a 2% rebate or a percent and a half rebate 
you charge mm-hmm. all you can with the carriers, you pay them the three percent, but it really only costs you one and a half. Mm. And then you pay that bill before the statement is up. And at least, at the very least, you could buy yourself 15 or 20 out of the 25 days. Mm-hmm. You could do it. It's hard. And you really have to manage the heck out of it, but you could do it. And from your experience so far, like what has been some of the more challenging aspects of running a brokerage? You know, that's ever changing, <laughs> Jerry. It's ever changing. <laughs> Absolutely, so, I'm sure. So when we first started with this business, we had a few customers, a few carriers, pretty easy. We knew who we were going to for, and we had relationships with everybody. And so if I had freight going from Connecticut to Chicago, I called George and said, come and get it because George was my carrier. The things that were hard in the beginning were like the mechanics of things, how to make rate confirmations, how to build the customers, how to ensure that everything you build, you got paid for, and how to make sure that everything you paid for, you build. Right. And and so without good systems, there was always a disconnect. Mm-hmm. First, it was putting those together. I mean, the, the 3PL system software has solidified the don't pay for things that you didn't get and don't get things that you didn't pay for. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really solidified that. And so that allowed us to move on and to do other things. And so today's struggle has to do with onboarding and everybody's probably talking about double brokering and fraud mm-hmm. in, the, in the industry. So that's just today's struggle. But once we solve that problem, there's probably going to be another struggle tomorrow. And you just, you know, you just have to work hard every day. This is not a, this is not a job where you, you know, you book a couple loads in the morning and go to the beach in the afternoon, <laughs> unless you're, unless you're an agent for somebody else and that's your whole job, right? Mm-hmm. But if you want to, if you want to own a broker, if you want to be a broker, you want to be a cradle to grave guy, you want to be, you know, the soup to nuts, you want to be everything in it. You know, you, you got to be willing to put the work in. There's no question. So what's it with like double brokering? I, I know I checked out Highway's booth at the TIA show and it seemed like uh, Jordan Graft, I know he used to work as the CEO over at Triumph Pay. And apparently like they got a lot of buzz going with this whole product they have coming out with uh, identity management. What what is your what do you think the reason is for everyone just so hot on double brokering right now? Uh, because I don't think it really existed until we started doing a lot of business by email, until virtual phone numbers popped up and became a thing. People found an easy way to sort of cheat and make money. So here's an example of what we dealt with today. Carrier, we post a load to, to the load boards. Carrier calls in, says he wants the load. We give him the load. They register on our onboarding site, which is a third-party software. They register, comes back, and it says the email's wrong. Well, I look, they're both Gmail addresses. And a lot of these carriers will say, uh, you know, Joe's Trucking. They'll have Dispatch at Joe's Trucking. Then they might have, you know, Joe at Joe's Trucking or Joe Dispatch at Joe's Trucking, Mm -hmm. whatever. And they're all at gmail.com. So you might have Joe.Dispatch at Gmail. You might have Dispatch Joe's Trucking at Gmail. You have all these different versions of it because Mm -hmm. everybody in the office has their own Gmail. So you don't even know what you're getting. Sure. So this this carrier registers with a different email and a very similar phone number. It was off by a couple of digits. Mm. We looked at it. We looked in carrier 411. There was no freight guard reports. They looked legit. We give them the load. The onboarding software reports that their factor changed. Happens all the time. Okay, fine. So now we've got three things. We should have picked it up and we should have stopped it right then and there, but we didn't. So they pick mm. up the load. The shipper reports, hey, this truck took the load today. Instead of telling us before they loaded it, they told us after. Luckily enough, we have a relationship with the carrier who picked up. 
So I called him up. I said, did you take a load from such and such a MC number? He says, yeah, we did. I go, that's my load. So he goes, are you kidding me? And so we had this conversation. Fast forward a couple hours later, I make a freight guard. I bounce them out of the load. I put the, the actual carrier in the load. I agree to pay him what we were paying him. I file a freight card report and the guy who owns the the MC who we, we booked with calls me up and says, that's not me. That's somebody else pretending to be me. And not only did they steal my name, but they changed the factor to their factor. So now every load I book wants to go to them, not me. Jeez. And so there's so much fraud going on that's, and it's easy to do because we don't have human interactions. We're not picking up the phone. We're sending emails. We're not, I don't know. So, you know, we put a whole bunch of safeguards in place. And every time something like this happens, we learn a little bit more. Sure. So what happens exactly like, to, I mean, what it, that one you solved, but if like, what are some horror stories you've read about or heard about? Like what, what's like some potential bad things that could happen the, as a result yeah, of double the, brokering the, for the, the broker or the carrier or the shipper? The danger really is this. If 49 CFR, I think it's 383 three or whatever, I forgot what section, requires that the carrier handling the freight or hauling the freight has to be paid. So if a shipper pays us and we pay the double broker and he doesn't pay the carrier, then the carrier has the right to go after whoever benefited from hauling the freight. And typically that would be shipper, the shipper. But the shipper already paid us. So guess mm. what? We benefited. And so the next person to come after would be us. So the jeopardy is, is you could pay for the, pay for the load more than once. Mm. The other thing is, is there's no control by me or who they're giving it to. They could have given it to someone with conditional safety, or they could have given it to someone with no safety rating or, or, a, or a negative safety rating. They could have given it to someone with bad insurance. They could have given it to someone who doesn't have authority. We just don't know who has the freight. And then what happens if the, if the guy who has the freight decides I'm not delivering it until I get paid, or maybe this is a valuable enough load where I'm just going to take it and sell it. We don't know even know who they are. And so there's a, there's a danger there. Um, and the other piece is the, the liability coverage may or may not be suitable for the load. So in today's instance, we had seven, eight, nine, 10, about 12 pallets, I guess, or 12 pallet spaces, about half a load, but it was worth $100,000. So the customer wanted to put a dedicated truck on it. So this double broker sold it as a partial. Mm. So <laughs> they put other people's freight on it, which means the amount of liability coverage gets prorated. And so we have $100,000 load that's half a load now. And so there's only $50,000 worth of insurance approximately on this load, God forbid something happens. So there's too many pitfalls. You know, we we do what we do because we're good at it and we do what we do to protect our customers. And so these people who wiggle their way in the middle, they open us up to potential liabilities. And is it a pretty common problem? I mean, is it is it like, I know that you probably don't have like statistics or anything like that, but like, it seems like a big enough problem that people are starting to pay attention to it. So yeah, that- I mean, it was on the front page of Transport Topics last week. It's It's a huge problem. And it, it's it's rampant, I believe, right now, because everything is electronic. It doesn't rely as much as in talking to people and understanding them and creating relationships. If I was, if I had a load going from point A to point B, and it was a repeat load, 
in another date and time, I would pick up the phone and call the guy I used to use all the time. I'd call George on those Chicago loads, right? Because that's what you do. You just call the same people all the time and you get them to haul your loads and you know them and you develop a relationship. But when you post loads out to the boards and just pick up anybody going walking down the street who wants these loads, you don't know who they are, or where they are, or even if they are who they say they are. And that's why those guys at Highway have a have a neat product where they they're doing ID verifications. It's a pretty good idea to to come up with a like a passport of sorts that says I guarantee this is who I am. How they're doing it, I don't know. I don't understand. Um, we're actually exploring that with them. I'm trying to set up a meeting, but we're, our schedules are colliding. So I'm trying to set up a meeting with them to decide if this is something we want to do. We're we're a pretty small broker in in terms of the world of billion dollar brokerages, right? We're really small, and so I don't know if we're going to be able to to make highway work for us. Mm-hmm. I wish we could, but for now, we're just putting a ton of labor into making sure that. Uh, register with us are who they say they are. And now that now includes starting today, us picking up the phone and calling the number that they registered, that that they uh, filled out their MCS 150, their their uh, Federal Motor Carrier annual form, picking up the mm. phone and calling that number to see if the person we're talking to works for them. I that's mean, it's fair. a simple, low-tech solution, but that's what we're doing. So I guess for the last couple of minutes, I wanted to talk to you. This, it's a pattern that I've noticed personally. Um, through like the last year or so, it just seems like load board get you or get people in trouble kind of from like this whole, like, I guess I call it like post and pray type of thing. So do you think that we're, there we're heading towards something that's like trying to use like your carrier base more, like trying to like repeat, use those carriers versus trying to go out and just find random carriers or is that just not like, that's just too Pollyanna thinking? Yeah. So we're struggling with that a little bit. We signed on with, there's two major players that I could see right now. And I met both of them at TIA. I'm signed on with one of them. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when we load up our loads into uh, the 3PL TMS, it automatically sends them out to, to their system. And then they look at all the carriers that we have in our system that we've Mm -hmm. worked with in the past that are running the lane that we're asking for. And it sends them an email and says, Hey, you've done this for us in the past. Are you interested in again? Here's our target rate. I think it's a dynamite solution. We're just not getting as much engagement as I expected. And I think part mm-hmm. of that is because you, know, you get a thousand emails a day. It's hard to read them all. And I'm not sure how to build depth there except to start making those calls and sort of going back to the way we were doing it before. Mm-hmm. There's a couple other solutions out there. I looked at another one who will take that same information and repost it to, I don't know, 75 load boards or something. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that really helps us, um, you know. But but I think the idea you're right is to to build depth with the current carrier base and the guys mm-hmm. you trust. And I think it's to build depth and, and build those relationships. And so, a good freight broker is going to not only have customer relationships but carrier relationships, and they're going to know who to call when the customer gives you a load. We don't know every single one, but we're starting to build that depth with our carriers, so we do know who to call. Mm-hmm. And, you know, next time we have like this load that got intercepted today, next time we have that, now we know who wants it because it's a carrier who's in our database. We just didn't know they ran that lane. Mm-hmm. And so now we do. So next time we'll call them and we'll say, hey, guy, you did this for us in the past twice now. Are you interested in the future? So, yeah, there's tools to build that. We, we, we've we got a, a ton of tools. And sometimes I wonder if we have too many for what we're doing, mm-hmm. but. Every time something like this happens today, I feel like 
we're almost there. Just one more thing will do it. So what, like, could you walk me through like the mechanics of how like a double broker thing would happen? Does the actual, does someone like a fake carrier actually pick it up or is it just like a fake transaction where they're pretending to be the carrier and then the communication is just going with the wrong person and the money, but not the actual Sure, there's a bunch load. of different scenarios. So in today's thing, this person just grabbed somebody else's MC number. They responded to my posting and said, I want that load. Here's my MC. We checked them out. They were good. They're really good. Can you register with us? So we send them out to our registrant. They go through the whole thing and we get an email back that says this guy registered, but the email changed or the phone number changed. <laughs> and so that was the red flag we missed. So that's a lesson learned, right? But sure. They changed their name and their email and they changed their factor. So they said, okay, we're going to pick this load up. No problem. They send a truck. The truck picks up the load. My customer calls and says, hey, the name on the bill of lading wasn't the name on the truck. I said, did you load it? She says, yeah. I'm like, told you not to do that, but okay. So I called the, the trucking company who picked it up and I said, who did you get, get this from? And he gave me a name that was not the broker or the MC number that I had given the, the load to. So they had somebody, they probably are playing with two different MCs. One's a broker MC and one's a, a, a carrier MC. Mm -hmm. So they took the load from me under the carrier MC. They gave it to the actual person who hauled the freight under the broker's MC. There seems to be a disconnect in between the two. So there's no real sign of impropriety. And now they've skimmed a hundred, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars off the top of a load that they didn't need to. They, 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 you know, the, the hauler, the guy who actually moved the freight is due that money, not them. Whatever you call them. I feel like we're probably calling, it's a, they're virtual numbers. So we don't know mm -hmm. where in the world we're calling. We don't know who we're talking to. They say there's somebody that they're not. Like the person that I spoke to had like, um, when I called and said, I think we have the wrong, you know, you've, you've given us bad information. The guy who actually owned the company had like an Arabic name. And the person who booked it was named Maria Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. And the picture that came over as part of the, part of her, email thing was probably a spoofed picture. You know, who knows? We, you know, you just don't know. So how are they doing it? Criminals who don't need to make a lot of money can scam a hundred bucks on a $4,000 load and be fine with that for a lot of reasons. One, probably because where they live doesn't require a lot of money to live. And two, if they never pay that end of the line carrier, then <laughs> they get the whole 4,000, right? So it's just an ugly business. It really is. It's it's fraud and it's it's ugly. And and it hurts the, the actual care. So the one that they spoofed called me up and he's like, you filed a 411 report on me, but I don't even know who you are. We're not registered with you. And I said, well, you hmm. are. You are. You did. And this person is the one who did it. And he goes, I don't know who that is. That's not even our email. It's, so. it's crazy too, because I guess they're using a lot of these smaller carriers are using like Gmails and probably not using a lot of like... Uh, two-factor authentication and safe. They're probably not doing a good job. Not that it's their fault or anything like that, but when you're running a small business, you're probably not really thinking about security and like getting right. ripped off. Like, uh, and it happens like, you know, in the real world. I mean, I have my friend, my ex's mom got ripped off by like these people that were somehow telling her that she was going to get a free car and she was sending them these like gift cards and she's an older lady 
and she fell for their their scam. But it's it's just interesting because I think it's that. Did she get, did load- she get the free iPad too? <laughs> she, she definitely didn't get anything free, but she she racked up a lot of debt. So that's interesting. Do you think that that's part of it? Just because like the carriers are just so some because they're so small that they might be a little bit low tech and not really paying attention yeah, to some of this. You know- you know what I said to the guy today that I talked to? I mean, he's a nice man. And he was like, why are you hurting my business? And I'm like, I'm not trying to, but you got scammed. Mm-hmm. I said to him today, I said, part of the problem is you're using a Gmail address. And I know it's cheap. It's free. I get it. But at the end of the day, what does it cost you to register a URL for your emails? Today? I mean, it can't be more than, what, $100 a year for an email address? It can't be. And so if you had a legit address, it would be so much easier to check and make sure it's right. People, for whatever reason, they take that, maybe they just don't know, but they take the easy way out and they use these free email services that just, I think it opens them up to fraud. And, Fair. and we should have done a better job. You know, we've learned from that and we put some safeguards in place to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore. Sure. And I guess my last question for you, I know you'd mentioned your sons wanting to, or working with you. What's your, I guess, vision for the next couple years? And I guess like, what, what do you have, like, what do you have in mind for the future of Finichi? Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm 56. I plan on sticking it out until I'm, uh, I don't know, 156. Um, <laughs> you throw me out at some point. I love this business, dude. I, I've, I've never really done anything but freight. The first picture of me sitting on the hood of a Mack truck holding on to the bulldog because I'm barely able to sit up myself. I don't see myself doing anything different. Both of my kids are pretty well invested. Each of them has a couple of accounts they run. One of them handles accounts payable. One of them handles accounts receivable. Mm-hmm. We all together handle carrier safety now. And I feel like as long as we keep moving forward, there's no reason to do anything other than what we're doing. This industry has made a great living for my family for four generations now. And there's no reason to do anything different, but build and add Mm -hmm. and bring people in who have accounts. And so, like I said, we're hundred percent self-funded. We have some money in the bank to bring in that next guy. I'm not going to bring in a $20 million sales rep, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to bring in a couple, one or $2 million sales reps and just keep building on what we have slowly, but surely just keep working it up because I feel like we have such a good program right now and we have such good uh, people besides me and my sons. We're great people. We're not just good, but. Um, no, I love you guys. You guys are actually <laughs> one of my favorite customers. We, we, we have a good team. We have a real good team. We've got a great back office team. We've got some brokers who understand how to how their little piece of the business works. I've got one who just does nothing but hot shots. I got one that does nothing but sprinter vans, right? And so, you know, we have good people and really good, parts of the business and we just like to to keep building on what we have and just keep um keep working this to the point where you know we get to a, a very nice comfortable lifestyle that's all no i love it i think it's cool and i think that the freight industry is benefit your family for four generations and you guys are good people solid humans so i, I love that if people want to reach out vin to learn more about finici where should i send them yeah, my, my contact information is all over the place, but uh, www.fenichefenichey.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, Vincent Carano. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're everywhere. We're on Twitter. We're wherever. Feel free to reach out. Just call me to say hello. You want advice? You want to talk about the freight business? It's what I do. It drives my wife crazy, but it's what I do. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed that entrepreneur story with Vin over at Fenichi, one of my favorite customers of 3PL Systems. Great guy. 
If you enjoy listening to 3PL Systems, please do me a favor and review us on Spotify or Apple. It just helps people find out about the show. Anyways, we appreciate you listening and hope you have a wonderful, safe weekend.